All right, everyone, we are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm not trying to set Winchow. is a reflex, it's muscle memory at this point, but uh, this is another episode where Seth is in vacation right now, couldn't join me. Um, hopefully, everything's going to go smoothly. Uh, I'm, last week was not too bad for my first time producing the show because I'm doing the stream yard and everything. Uh, I had some complaints about uh, the shared screen being bigger. I'm gonna try to make that happen for you guys uh, today because there's a few, uh, there's a few things we want to look at, especially the uh, the new Cadillac Escalade IQ. Not a fan of the name, big fan of the truck. Never be able to afford it, but <laughs> that's another problem. Um, all right, so a bit like last week. Though it was a bigger news week this week, so we're going to have a plenty of news to discuss. But again, without the back and forth between me and Seth, it should uh, be quicker to get through those um, news items. So um, we're going to make it a little bit more interactive. I'm going to be able to answer your questions. So I'm going to remind you of that as more people come into the show uh, later on. And I even ask on Twitter uh, if you guys have questions so we can go through. Uh, I had some good questions in that Twitter post, uh, that Twitter thread. So um, shameless plug, by the way, if you want to follow me on, on, excuse me, I said Twitter. I mean, X, of course, it's now X. Uh, Frederick Lambert uh, is my end all. All right. How do I do this? I do like this. Boom. Okay, we're on. So let's start with uh, a few quick Tesla news here that we're going to get through our, our usual NAX update. Um, so this one is uh, is an interesting one. It's uh, it's kind of a follow up on uh, like the SAE, uh, SAE standardization that Tesla has started going through for for Nax to make it an official standard. The, the charging connector here. Uh, now they have, uh, according to Volex, uh, which is a UK based uh, power equipment manufacturer, the Tesla has issued a license to produce Nax to Volex. So I wasn't very familiar with Volex, but I looked them up. Looks like a serious company, pretty big, like eight thousand employees. They do a lot of electronics, wire harnesses, cables, and, and things like that. So it looks like it's right up their alley. Uh, and they say that they are ready to produce this thing right now and to to, to produce the connectors and uh, receptors to OEMs. So uh, this is great news, obviously, because uh, I think this is another step of Tesla trying to create a little bit of distance between itself and the NACs. Because automakers, there, there's still a few of them that are holding out in North America be, before accepting NAX as the standard. I mean, the bulk is there, obviously, for GM, um, Nissan. I think, I think the others will fall through at one point. And if they don't, it's at this point, it's them that are in trouble, not the other way around. Even with that new, that new charging network that was announced, because that will take a while to to arrive and. Then to be up to pace with Tesla, it's gonna that's gonna maybe never happen. And I'm not uh, and I'm not being pessimistic here. It's just numbers like it's it's hard to get there. Tesla's already such a big lead uh, in terms of charging infrastructure in North America. But anyway, one of the old up is that as an OEM that's your competitor to Tesla, you might feel some resentment to like give unload a big part of the ownership experience for. Uh, EV owners, which is the charging outside of the home to your competitor, not just outside of the home, but technically inside of the home too, because if you make it the standard, then uh, your home charger too is going to have an axe connector. So yeah, basically all the charging. By uh, making it an official standard, where is some kind of a committee that's behind it ver- other than just Tesla. And now by having people licensed to produce the connector, then you you, you make it uh, some distance between the two. So I think that could help with the uh, maybe a few of the automakers that are still holding out, accepting NAX as the new standard. All right, a big of a surprise earlier this week, uh, Tesla announced that uh, longtime CFO Zachary Kirkhorn is on the outs. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation about this news this week because it was a kind of... A, um, Happen pretty fast. Like normally, when you have uh, when when you have a, a chief, an officer, chief officer um, going away, uh, there's some kind of um, succession plan or something, and it's going to be announced. Okay, they're going to leave this date and everything. And now that I know there's been, I'm going to read the announcement because uh, there's been some confusion about it. Some people are not aware how how this works, but the announcement was as of August 4th, and that's when. It was announced. Uh, Tesla appointed 
I'm going to mess up his name. I'm sorry, Mr. Tanaja. Vaihab Tanaja. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, as a financial officer, in addition to his current role as chief accounting officer, so now he, has, he was already chief accounting officer at the time, now he's also uh, CFO. To succeed Zachary Kirkhorn, Mr. Kirkhorn stepped down as August 4th. Um, after a 13 years tenure with the company, the last four years of which he has served as master of coin and chief Noma. Um, during this tenure, Tesla has seen tremendous expansion and growth. Tesla thanks Mr. Kirkcon for his significant contributions. Mr. Kirkcon will continue to serve Tesla through the end of the year to support a seamless transition. So when people heard that last part, they were like, all right, well, this is normal. He, he's staying at Tesla. He's not staying at Tesla. He will continue to serve Tesla through the end of the year. So he's not there. He's not, uh, I guarantee you, the guy is not there. They don't say it like that when, when he was there. Also, they don't announce it where, as of today, he, he's leaving. Um, that, that sounds more, uh, Gary Black, actually, on, on Twitter, a Tesla investor, I had a pretty good, uh, summary of ha- what most likely happened. And I, I agree with him based on the how I know Tesla works and I don't know these position works. It's it's most likely that Zach wanted out. You know, the guy did quite a few years as CFO, a decade before that as uh, different roles in Tesla's finance department. The guy has paid his dues <laughs> and he's made his money too. I think he has like a $500 million worth of Tesla stocks. Uh, but... He told Elon, he's like, he wants out. Like, like he's still super young. Too. He's probably want to do something else uh, with his time, like his, his own thing. Like, you know, I completely understand that. And he, he probably told Elon and Elon was like, oh, come on. Like, they like, tried to convince him to stay and everything. And then Zachary came back to Elon later and he was like, no, 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 I really want out. And then boom, fired. Like, not maybe like fired, like maybe not fired, fired, but but forced to to, like he said, I think the way they phrased it, step down, forced to step down uh, because I was like, all right, you don't want to work here, you don't, you don't work here, and not to be a distraction for the department and everything too as he's leaving. And uh, and obviously, Mr. Tanija is uh, already very familiar with the department as being chief accounting officer himself. So at least it should be uh, not too bad of a transition, even though Zachary was was very well-liked and the investment community for is like no-nonsense, clear uh, stuff. But... Uh, especially on the, I know it was it kind of sounded monotone and boring on the finance call, but that's kind of what you want out of a of a CFO anyway. And financial performance of Tesla under his um, leadership obviously was through the roof. So uh, congratulations on that. But you know, people said all, all the doomsday stuff. Like people said the same thing when uh, Deepak Ahuja stepped down, who also was a CEO for Tesla for a long time, was very knowledgeable. Um, finance guy in the, auto, in the auto industry working at Ford before that, I think. And then Zach came on uh, and Zach was a bigger bet outside of Tesla. I'm sure within Tesla it was known to be very good, but outside of Tesla it was like, he's very young to be a CFO of a multi-billion dollar company, um, but he did very well. So I'm, 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 because of that, I'm, I'm not too worried about the, the transition here. Still surprising, and you don't want to see a CFO leave. Uh, it's, it always makes the the investment community a bit nervous. All right, we had a few uh, exclusive at Electric this week in terms of new hires. So uh, Zach is leaving, but other people are coming in. So we we exclusively reported that Tesla hired a new um, manufacturing expert to be the uh, what's his exact role head of Gigafactory Nevada expansion engineering and construction. So it's Mister Mister Michael. Hildebrin, and uh, he's coming from uh, almost three decades uh, as a, a manufacturing executive in the pharmaceutical industry, more recently at uh, Eli Lilly. So, yeah, we, we know that, that Elon has made some uh, links between the uh, pharmaceutical industry and like the, the semiconductor industry about in terms of manufacturing expertise that they kind of want to replicate for uh, battery manufacturing, for example, and the Gigafactory expansion is a lot about battery cell manufacturing, the 4060 cell in particular, and uh, obviously the Tesla Semi, that's another thing. But So it looks like Tesla brought someone especially for managing this giant project. As you can see, it's, it's going to be a giant project because this is the current factory and this is going to be the <laughs> footprint of the expansion. So it's going to be bigger, much bigger than the current factory. And the expansion was announced all the way back 
in January. And even before that, in October, we announced that the, the, this section was supposed to be, uh, the Tesla has already submitted the permits for this section. And uh, yet nothing happened yet. So I don't know what's happened. A few months later, there was the announcement of the expansion. So that makes sense with the announcement. But that was seven, seven months from, uh, from now, eight months. Nothing, nothing happened yet. So hopefully this is a good sign now that Tesla is a leader specifically for this expansion. I would, uh, I mean, if, if the, the guy has an actual job to do, uh, things should get moving. If, uh, if the expansion doesn't happen, then this guy doesn't have a job. <laughs> and then we also reported on another uh, hire in the manufacturing side from Tesla, Dr. Michael Schmidt, uh, 25 years of experience at Bosch. So he was poached from Bosch, where he, uh, Bosch, Bosch? pronounce that exactly the german manufacturing giant and is officially giant in the auto industry as a tier one uh part supplier including parts to tesla so the guy has a very deep experience where he, he he's a doctor in physics too so that's right up elon's alley and uh, he, he's had leadership roles at a bunch of different manufacturing programs directly heading factories in germany china and mexico gigafactory mexico anyone and um, most recently, he was uh, chief operating officer and senior vice president in North America in charge of operation and R&D for factory automation, hydraulics in Canada, USA, and Mexico. So he was basically leading uh, manufacturing technology and automation in, uh, in North America. So very good hire for Tesla. Now he's working out of, out of Austin. And we had a source that says that uh, he's going to be working closely with Tom Zhu to manage uh, gigafactory operation in North America. So that means the USA and, and Mexico for now. For now. Kind of expect some announcement soon for another location. Maybe in Canada. Who knows? Um, in other news, another Tesla related news, Tesla was added to the used EV federal tax credit this week. Or maybe that was last weekend. What do we do? Since the last podcast, everything is new for us in the last podcast. And um, so this is interesting. Tesla was not on it when it was first launched because this was first launched with the uh, new reform to the tax credit. Uh, let, me, let me just mute my... Uh, yeah, focus on this. Sorry about that. Um, that was launched at the same time as the um, tax credit reform with the new year. But Tesla was not on the eligibility list for the used one. It was for the new one, but not for the used one. And uh, we we assumed that it probably was because uh, Tesla did like it was hard to even if you put yourself on the list, it would be very hard for someone to claim the tax credit on a used Tesla because of the eligibility criteria that come with it. Uh, so the, there's the, all the eligibility criteria on the uh, consumer side, of the buyer side. Um, for example, like, uh, well, all straightforward. I, I guess that the more restrictive one is uh, modify uh, adjusted gross income does not exceed $75,000 for individuals, $112,500 for heads of a household, and $150,000 for joint uh, returns filers. So um, that's on the buyer side. But on the car side, it's a little bit more restrictive, especially for an electric vehicle, especially for a Tesla electric vehicle. Uh, have a sell price of $25,000 or less. So that's that's a big one here. You won't find that many Tesla for less than $25,000. Maybe some older Model S's um, would be around that price. Maybe some very high mileages, Model 3's. Model Y, I mean, maybe if someone just went crazy and put like 300 miles on a Model Y. But um, I mean, I paid more for that. I paid more for my Model X with 400,000 miles then $25,000, I paid $29,000. I wouldn't have been able to be eligible for that. So, and also it needs to be at least, uh, the model year needs to be two years earlier than the calendar year. So that's normal, but again, it's going to be way more than that if it's a $25,000 Tesla. Anyway, but uh, yeah, now it's been added. So if you do find something under $25,000 in a used Tesla market, all, all the vehicles have been added to the list, Model 3, Model S, X, Y, and even the Roadster, which you're never going to find a $25,000 Roadster, uh, with all the appropriate model year, which is like 2021 and before, basically. Um, and next year is going to be 2022 and before. But so if you fill up all the criteria, then boom, you're in for uh, up to uh, $4,000 um, tax credit, which is pretty good. 
Speaking of Gear Factory Mexico earlier about the new hire, we had first news in a long time about some progress at the factory site. So Tesla is reportedly still looking to have its permit. That's the last time we reported two months ago. The governor of the uh, state that uh, the factory is in, uh, Nuevo Leon, um, the governor said that uh, he's expecting Tesla to get the permit within the next two months. It's about two months now. I haven't heard anything, but uh, at the site, the local newspaper, Millennial, uh, reported some... Uh, remove that here. Let's share some of the images. Some machinery uh, being deployed uh, at the site. Very close to the road, though. So it seems to be more about uh, building up the exit and, and the road to the actual factory site. It's part of the factory site, but still, um, this is probably going to have its own private exit there. Uh, that would make sense. So that's some progress here that would point towards Tesla actually starting breaking ground on the actual factory rather than the uh, infrastructure for the site. So let, let's say that's more about the infrastructure for the site and the actual breaking ground of the factory. But uh, it's it's progress nonetheless worth mentioning because we, we're going to be tracking the construction of Gigafactory Mexico closely since uh, Tesla is talking about like a record pace from breaking ground to to production, to vehicle production. And we know that Tesla wants to produce the next generation vehicles at Gigafactory, Tesla, uh, Gigafactory Mexico, uh, namely the, the new cheaper Tesla, the sum of two people are talking, but the $25,000 Tesla and uh, the RoboTaxi, obviously. So some progress there. All right, we have a bunch of done Tesla news that we're going to do too now, but uh, while we have more people here uh, watching right now, let me remind you that we're going to have uh, plenty of time after these uh, four or five uh, next news items to have a more interactive part of the show where I will take your question about whether any of the news items I'm discussing today are a different topic in the EV industry that you want to discuss. So um, you can put the question in the comment section right now. I see questions from Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn right now where we're live. Uh, you can put in the comment section right now and I'm going to be able to uh, answer you in about 15, 20 minute max. All right, this was a big news this week. The Cadillac uh, Escalade IQ, which has been teased a bunch over the last year, has now been officially unveiled. We had Scooter, our own electric uh, reporter, Scooter Doll, uh, in New York at the unveiling. Uh, and uh, everyone, uh, from what I'm looking right now, everyone seemed pretty impressed. Um, the uh, Look at the, we see the actual vehicle here. I was afraid that it's going to be a bit boxy, which is what uh, kind of GM has been going through right now which is with its electric vehicles and uh and it is it is boxy but like from some like like this angle is not too bad like they rounded some things up that makes it not too like it's a cardboard box on on, on wheels here so overall i'm i'm like this angle is pretty good don't tell me that's not good that, that looks like a sleek looking cool looking uh electric suv right there big suv obviously you look at it. This, this is cool i'm liking this uh, giant front trunk, sorry, front trunk, giant. Like this guy has a carry-on suitcase and two, uh, do, you call, do you call those duffel bags? I don't know if you call those duffel bags, but whatever those fancy bags are. Fancy, too fancy for me. Uh, Spec-wise, the <laughs> GM is going all out these days. Like the, the, this 200 kilowatt hour battery pack for the Hummer, makes it to the Silverado EV and now it makes it to the Escalade. So they have a 200 kilowatt hour usable energy in the battery pack, 24 wheels on module. It gives up an estimated range of 450 miles at 724 kilometers. That's going to be EPA too, uh, by the way. So uh, it's, it's, it's massive. With the Velocity Max mode, it's uh, up to 750 horsepower, uh, 785 pound of foot torque, 0 to 60 in under 5 seconds. 800 volt DC fast charging, uh, zero to 100 mile of range in 10 minutes. Oh, that's uh, we, uh, I would have liked to have like the 10 to 80. I think is the best figure to look into. Obviously, your mileage may vary. Uh, 800 pound of estimated towing capacity. So all of these are estimated. So it's not the actual uh, final number. And vehicle to home, vehicle to everything. Basically, uh, that was announced with the Cadillac. 
uh, a lot of things will come to the GM lineup with the equal to home GM announced this week. But Cadillac was going to be one of the first to get it. Um, speaking of being one of the first, when is the timing on this thing? I don't remember them announcing it. I mean, if they unveil the final version, it's going to be soon. But for everything I just mentioned, by the way, let's let's go into uh, what has been grabbing the most headline, which is the actual price of the Escalade IQ. It's going to start at $130,000. So that's, I, I mean, it's packed with feature. Like, it has 40 40 speakers in them with like the, all the latest technology, those giant 50-inch 50, 50 screen. That, well, it's, it's two screen actually in the front. Let's, let, let's look at the, at the interior. Look at that. It's actually like a 30-something inch screen uh, on, on the driver's side and then a 20-inch screen on this side. And you have another touch screen at the bottom here for all the features on top of uh, actual analogs uh, input uh, with a knob. Same thing with the, uh, the steering wheel. Look at that. This is a sweet-looking vehicle. Sweet-looking. Oh, you like the detection? Yeah, it's going to have the Super Cruise, too. And uh, at the back, you have more screens at the back, control screen, um, access to streaming apps on, on these screens. Like it's, it's a vehicle that's great to be driven in, obviously. So it's packed with everything, but it starts $130,000. And my main problem with that is that obviously Cadillac as well as the regular Escalade, which is a big seller, and it starts at $80,000. So that's the thing people always stick on. It's like, oh, it's $50,000 difference on the, obviously the number of the people are buying the $80,000 Cadillac. I think the average sell price is closer to 100,000 with options and whatnot. But still $50,000 difference on the base price. It's, uh, it's bad. Like a lot of people, they don't even, like in this case, even if I can't think for the, like the fuel savings, like you won't get close to to compensating for it. Maybe with the maintenance and fuel saving over like a five, 10 year period, like you're starting getting close. Because that those didn't those escalate, those gas powered escalate, the uh, they do guzzle up some gas. Um, but yeah, so it's gonna it's, it's gonna be a problem for a lot of people. Obviously, it's gonna be like lower um volume vehicle. I mean, it's not this Cadillac Celestic level, but still it's uh it's not, it's not going to be as popular as it could be in the big SUV side um, market, which, you know, it's a, it's a good market. Like uh, uh, you, you have uh, right now, basically the uh, Rivian uh, R, R, uh, R1S, and that's about it. Uh, you can go with like, the Kia EV9 and things like that, but that I think most people consider that much uh, less luxurious than, uh, than the Cadillac or the Rivian. So, Right now, it's in class of its own. But for the price point, those are the few things that are very interesting, like like this, for example, this uh, suspension here. And they have a, a magnetic uh, suspension. It, it's incredible. Like uh, Especially if you look at the first part of the video here. Uh, like This is the rendering. Look at this here. This is a pretty bad terrain here, and it's like nothing. So yeah, I'm I'm very impressed. I, I like it, uh, but I'm just a little bit concerned about the pricing strategy here, especially with the Escalade uh, gas powered Escalade being so much cheaper. A lot of people are gonna, uh, if, if you're interested in Escalade, and you're gonna want to have the gas powered one. It's almost a way to generate some attention to the Escalade program and then sell the people the gas powered one. Almost, I don't know. Maybe there's a, a I don't know. Maybe I'm just speculating here, but it's. Um, I mean, Cadillac says that they're going to move to all electric too uh, within the next decade. So uh, at least there's that. At least at one point, it's just going to be the IQ and not the uh, gas power Escalade. All right. We had the Rivian's earnings this week. And the stock went down after they announced their earnings. And I was surprised that the stock went down because I thought it was by far the most impressive earnings that uh, Rivian delivered over-expectation from Wall Street and over-expectation in terms of the um, actual earnings and um, earnings per share and revenue. Not that much, like $100 million for the revenue and uh, a few cents uh, per share for, for the, the actual earnings. But still, um, the big difference here, where is it? 
Yeah, right here. Okay. So the big difference that I was looking for, like when, when every time I cover a ribbon earning, but I, I'm, Peter covered it here, but I mean, when I, when I go over ribbons earnings, I look at the gross margin because that's been a problem. Like Riven has been selling their trucks at a massive loss before even accounting for operating expenses. So we've been through this a bunch of times, but like there's been a lot of Tesla comparison. Now. Tesla lose, used to lose money all the time. It's not a problem. Yes, but Tesla used to lo- lose money on their operating expenses, but they wouldn't make money in terms of uh, revenue for the from delivery of their vehicles minus the cost of making those vehicles. That would be a positive gross margin. And then when you account for their, all the operating expenses after that, they would lose money. Not anymore. Obviously, now it's a cash-making uh, business. But the problem is so Tesla had that at the very beginning, obviously, but then... It, when the ramp up started to come, when when Tesla was delivering the same volumes that Riven was delivering right now, they were already way in the positive, way in the positive gross margin. Now Riven is still negative, but this quarter showed a massive imp- uh, increase in profit, gross profit. Still a loss, but that's what you call it, gross profit. Uh, so let's go through it here. So at the same time last year, uh, Rivian was losing. Uh, 700, well, let's go with the percentage here, 193% negative gross margin on their vehicle. Last quarter was 81%. So that was a, a big improvement. The, the, not, uh, the quarter before last, I should say. This, this quarter, the last quarter reported, and then in June, it was 37 minus negative 20, 37 gross margin. So they went from 193 to 37 in a year, and quarter to quarter, they went from 81 to 37. Massive improvement in just three months. Obviously, there was a big jump in production from 9,000 units to almost 14,000 units. So uh, the economies of scales are working right now. Obviously, you're still in the negatives. So you're still losing more money because you're delivering more vehicles. So the, it was... Uh, the, Gross profit per unit, negative $32,000. So for every truck they delivered, they were losing $32,000. But they were losing $157,000 last, week, last year. And one hundred fifty. Uh, no, sorry, $67,000. So the double of that just uh, three months before that. So uh, then after that, you had the operating losses and everything. And at the end of the day, they, they ended up uh, losing $1.6 billion. Yeah. Negative free cash flow of 1.6 billion this quarter, so it still hurts, but they still have nine billion dollar cash, and now they have a cl- much clearer path to a positive gross margin. Now, even when they have a positive gross margin, they were they're still going to lose money because their operating expenses are still uh, um, 1.2 uh, billion. But it's going to go down fast once they hit a positive gross margin, and then once they increase that positive gross margin uh, to let's say 10. Um, I think they said that 20% is their, is their hope. Uh, obviously, I think it's going to be a, a lot more difficult as they get to like zero and then like this big jump. I don't, I don't expect another big jump like that next quarter. Like uh, if they can get closer to like, I don't know, uh, negative like 20 or, or negative 10, something between 10 and 20, uh, it would be pretty good. Uh, then next year, I think that's when they uh, aim to be a positive gross margin. But now the path is at least a lot clearer. See, if they were at like 70% right now, uh, it would my, my, uh, negative 70%, I would be a little bit worried. But this big jump showed that uh, they're, they're getting their, their costs under control. So great news. Still $9 billion in the pockets, but losing 1.6 per quarter, it goes fast. But they, uh, they, are, they think that it's going to be um, enough through 2025. And by that time, they should be generating more money. And... I'm pretty sure they still have some avenues in terms of fundraising too. They have uh, Amazon as a backer, obviously. That's a deep pockets right there along. Uh, Lucid unveiled the uh, Air Sapphire. So it's the top of the line Lucid Air that they've been teasing for a while. They already announced a lot of the specs, but uh, they decided to release the final specs this week of what is basically a supercar in uh, in a four-door sedan format. So a big competitor of the Mall Plaid, obviously. Zero to 60 miles per hour in 1.89 seconds. So break, uh, neck breaking speed, literally. Um, uh, 1,200 horsepower. Sweet. Um, the zero to 100 miles per hour in 3.84 seconds. That's a quarter mile under nine seconds. Ooh, top speed of 205 miles per hour. Uh, 900 volt charging technology. 
427 miles of range. So it, you lose some of the range because they, they have a higher range version of that. But obviously, with the top performance, you lose up the range. You have all the specs here uh, available in Electrek, but uh, the uh, this is this is a super, like Lucid. One of the problems with the Lucid Air, I think, is like there's too wide. Of a gap and like you can have an eighty thousand lucid hair and you have a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars losing hair because that's the price of the sapphire. So I don't know, it doesn't make much sense. Like because uh, like with the Mall S, like the Mall S plaid starts at one hundred and nine thousand dollars and gets very similar specs here. Like the, the, the lucid sapphire is faster for sure. It's it's quicker. Um, but the thing is like okay, you get a Model S for ninety thousand dollars, where you get the long range and everything, or you get the Model the Model S Plaid for fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars more, and you get the performance. Like that might get a little bit more sense. For for the air, like you can get like a bunch of vehicle in the hundred thousand range, and you get basically the same vehicle. I know there's a bunch of other little features, different and everything, but it's it's still the same model. Uh, with just a more performance, but you have to add one hundred fifty thousand dollars to that price. That's a bit crazy for me. Like it's, it's just I don't. It's hard to market a vehicle like that, in my opinion. Um, I might be wrong, but uh, I doubt it. <laughs> All right, bad news for a fan of the uh, electric Explorer. It was to, supposed to come at the end of the year. Now it's been pushed to uh, this summer, uh, next summer, sorry. So uh, about six months uh, delay in the vehicle. Uh, did they say why? Uh, did, I know that we knew about it from informing the workers at the uh, the plant in, in Cologne that where it's going to be produced. But uh, anyway, we're not that excited about it because it's just, <laughs> sorry, I mean, I'm sure guys in Europe are really excited about it, but it's not coming here just yet. So and now if it comes, it's going to be even later. Yeah, I don't think there was a details on uh, citing the global safety rules for vehicle powertrain. So it looks like it's a regulatory uh, problem that uh, is holding up the Explorer Electric. All right. Last but not least, Proterra unfortunately announced a bankruptcy under Chapter 11 this week. The company better known for their electric buses, but also kind of shifted a little bit more to like powertrain manufacturing, battery pack manufacturing, was supplying the battery packs for the uh, for Nikola and from a bunch of other companies. It's still in operation. So bank- bankruptcy, eleven. Uh, it's basically to protect you against your creditor. So they, 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 their, their debt is out of control. Uh, there's too much creditor going after them right now uh, for the capital uh, necessary. So the chapter 11 basically... Tell you tell everyone like we're bankrupt right now. We cannot satisfy our creditors, but it protects them to be able to continue operation where while they restructure, which is likely what's going to happen right now. They say that they're going to still operate. So, uh, and I hope they can figure out something and something quick so that the operation can continue because a lot of other companies now are dependent on Proterra. A lot of other vehicle programs from another company are dependent on. Proterra's uh, battery production. So, and also they have some like a lot of great buses out there. It's just, I think it's a tough business because they, they managed to raise a lot of money, but they burned through it so fast. Like it was still worth like a billion dollars just a few weeks ago, a few months ago. But uh, the bus business is, is a tough one. Like it's so dependent on, uh, like, on government orders and uh, on incentives and that uh, it can fluctuate a lot, and they just couldn't survive that, it looks like, or for now, at least. I'm, I'm hoping for the best for them, but for now, it's uh, at least uh, temporarily set back. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we've seen Chapter 11 being a setback, but, and company can come back, but most of the time, it's not, it's not ideal. All right, um, let me go to the questions that we had, uh, that I had on Twitter. And then, uh, and then I'm going to jump into the comment section. I see a couple of questions here, but you can add them right now. If you are live, if you are watching live, you can put on uh, YouTube, Facebook, or LinkedIn in the comment section right now. You can ask a question or suggest an EV topic that we uh, we should discuss together live on the show today. All right, let me share this tab instead. Boom, my Twitter account, X account. Sorry, if you guys want to follow, I tweeted earlier today. 
right here. All right, Aaron, our own electric Aaron um, manager, social media here, the state of EV companies, which do you think are going to stay and ones that uh, could fold and get acquired? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, this is complete guesses for me, obviously. Like I, could, I wouldn't have guessed that Proterra would, would go bankrupt, but I, to be honest, I wasn't following them too closely e either. So I wasn't like looking at their... Uh, looking at their statements every quarter and, and all that. So I don't know. But uh, all right. So what other companies? I mean, the, the big one was Rivian that we talked for a long time. But this quarter, like I, it was a big improvement, very big improvement. So I'm really hyped about it now. Uh, I think I think it, I always thought they were going to survive. But I thought like the hard times could be harder than people think uh, before they can turn around. Now, now I see a turnaround like next year. Uh, financially speaking here, I'm talking because like, uh, you know, we, we talk about the finance here. Uh, we're not a finance show or anything. We're an EV show, but these companies, they need to be financially sustainable if they're going to survive, if they're able to, like, if I, 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 we're more of a consumer publication, but I think in this space right now, you, you, you have to look if, unless you're buying from those, from the Tesla or from the legacy automakers and we can go into, legacy to makers too because some of them could fold in my opinion but you, you have to look into the financial sustainability of those companies because if you're buying a car uh and you're thinking of keeping it for five or ten years and that company goes under during that time then that's a big financial loss for you you're gonna have a hard time selling that car without the service infrastructure and all that so it's it, it's just very important that you you look into that and um and yeah, so now I'm way more hyped for Rivian, way more hyped. So I think Rivian's going to stay around. Uh, get it acquired, though, is not out of possibility. I mean, always, especially if you have like this Apple thing that's always going around, uh, though it's going to be harder now with Amazon being a big investor in the company and everything. I think Rivian is most likely going to be its own thing. Lucid, Lucid, I think, is in trouble because Lucid, we're not seeing the kind of turnaround in the gross margins that we just saw from Rivian. They're losing a lot of money per cars. They just slashed their prices on the air other than the Sapphire. Obviously, it starts at $250,000, but they just reduced like up to $12,000 the price of the air. Um, I think I think they should have started with the gravity and with the, with the SUV. I think that like the SUV is saving Rivian right now. This, the turnaround that we're seeing is because of the R1S, I think. Uh, so I think Lucid should have started with the gravity instead of the air. And... Uh, Look, I think I think Lucid is also pretty safe thanks to the backing of the Saudis. The Saudis are going to want to keep that thing flowing, uh, floating. So maybe they're okay. Maybe they get acquired. Maybe they get sold. That's a possibility too. But I'm I, I think it's fold or acquire is like one category that you put there, Aaron. I think I think that's that it would fall under that category. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have any like any other name you can throw at me that I can I can discuss because I don't know otherwise. Ron said that discuss the Riven R1S. We kind of did a little bit, but uh, to discuss in more detail, we're going to talk a lot more about the R1S in the in the near future because uh, obviously Seth got one. So once he comes back for vacation and start to use it a little bit more, uh, I'm sure we're going to be able to talk about it a lot more. Oh, Bastien Terron, Bastien Terron from uh, Terron uh, Electric ATVs. You guys should check them out. Says, um, what do you think about the recent... Oh, okay, but he's talking about Proterra. So we, we already talked about that uh, and what it means for the, the few partnerships. So yeah, so technically right now, they are telling everyone that they're consuming operation. So they're basically... Because they still have money. They still have some money. It's just like they don't have enough money to cover what the creditors are asking right now. Uh, so the Chapter 11 basically helps them to keep using that money to continue operation while they figure things out. Uh, so right now, the, the programs that are dependent on the... Proterra battery packs are safe, but obviously I'm sure that they are already looking at alternatives uh, as any good uh, supply chain manager would do. Uh, Sean asked about the Cadillac. We already discussed that. Any good body of the data out there on the battery degradation from older Model 3s? Seem like they are getting old enough for us to know what we can expect for modern EV batteries. Yeah, I mean, there are some uh, crowdsources that are out there which are pretty good that points to nothing more than an 80% Retain, retention of uh, battery capacity for most vehicles. Some, some outliers doing a lot better, some outliers doing a little worse, uh, but not that much worse and not that much better. Um, but uh, for the most part, like I'm seeing like 90% on my 2018 Model 3s. I'm not high mileage though. I'm, I don't remember, 60,000 miles? Less than that, I think. Uh, 
Anyway, uh, Tesla also released data uh, once a year through its um, impact report, I think. Yep. I think it's in the impact report that they do release the data. And it's very similar, maybe a little bit more optimistic. And I'll, <laughs> I don't know how they calculate it, but it's, it's very similar. Uh, whether to buy an EV with CCS today or wait until manufacturer changes the port to next. All right, so, so that we, we've discussed that before, but personally, I would have a hard time doing it uh, just for resale value. And it's not a big deal, to be honest. Like, if you really like an SUV, an SUV uh, any EV right now that has CCS versus one that has NAX, well, I mean, only Tesla has NAX right now. So other than, uh, if you like a non-Tesla EV right now over a Tesla, I would still do it. Because it's not the end of the world. There's going to be adapters. So it's going to be just a little small investment into an adapter. $100, $200 max, I think. Uh, and, and there's obviously other CCS station. There's a new uh, all the conglomeration, like collaboration between all those automakers that was announced to. That's going to have CCS. It's going to be a lot more CCS chargers, even beside the adoption of NAX as a standard in North America. So it's not the end of the world. But... I think Nax is going to become the official standard at this point. So it, it feels a little bit weird to buy a car that's not going to have the charger for the official standard. But at the same time, I'm just I'm probably just biased toward Tesla at this point because, like I said, not buying a Nax car right now is not buying a Tesla, basically, you're saying. So uh, take, take everything I say with a, a grain of salt because CCS is not that bad either. Uh, Rivian earnings, we discuss. Um, L3X1 says, what, what's the bus market looks like post-Proterra? I mean, there's other options out there, but they are somewhat limited. I mean, Proterra had some very nice vehicles here. Um, but uh, there, there's still other manufacturers. It's BYD that makes one. I mean, Proterra was more known for like their street, uh, their city street buses and their, their coaches kind of type of vehicles. Uh, obviously, the uh, school bus market is booming right now. There's like a dozen companies making them like uh, Leon and, and, B, and uh, uh, Julie and Blue. Uh, the, the, so I think I think that the market is still going to be the, the industry is still going to be good. There's going to be plenty of players without Prothera in it. If God forbid that happens. Uh, ben Houtman has what the hell V12 being 90% AI means. Oh, okay, he's uh, talking about FSD beta here. Uh, he's talking about I think about uh, a comment that Elon Musk has made about V12 being 95 99% AI. Uh, I think what Elon means by that is that the vehicle control, which was not neural net based, is going to be neural net based, AI based now with V12. So what that means is that on on the perception, on the on the vision side of things, it was neural nets that are, are perceiving the environment of the of the vehicle under FSD beta. But the actual vehicle control, like thinking, okay, well, we're turning right there because of X X uh, Y information. We are slowing down. We are whatever you're doing. The, the actual control of the vehicles; those were like hard coded, like inputs based on the information that the um, computer vision system, which was AI based, which is AI based, uh, is getting. So the combination of the two, like the, they're going to be all AI based now. So that's the big change, the big improvement apparently that is going to come with V12, which. Got me a little bit hyped up, to be honest. Like, and I, it's been hard to hype me up when it comes to FSD. I've been burned too many times, but this does sound like something that could result in a lot of improvements. I think I might be wrong. All right, uh, pale blue eyeless two new edge products were teased at investor speculation. Yeah, I mean, we 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 saw that. I mean, this just looks like uh, the newer um, Powerwall three, probably in the. And like in the other, the the Mega Pack uh, XL or something like that. I'm not I'm not super hyped about that. Uh, FSD hype, which is which is discussed basically uh, every range. We discussed every range. All right, let's uh, let's jump into the the you guys comments right now so that um, can jump into that. And by the way, if you do enjoy the Electric Podcast, I know it's a special episode. We don't have Seth around. Uh, it, it's not the real electric podcast but if you do enjoy the show if you want to help out real quick you can just click the like button right now on youtube on facebook on the on linkedin and the like button but anyway uh you can subscribe uh hit the notification button all those things are free to do and it helps the show a lot and help propagate on there if you're listening on your podcast app now we're, we're a top 10 automotive podcast in the u.s right now which is awesome and it's thanks to you guys uh, if you can leave a five star a five star review on uh, Apple Podcast, that helps the show a ton. Free to do takes a second, and it helps the show more than you can think. All right, what are you guys saying? 
Uh, Guan Ko here says, other cars have their charging openings often on the other side, Mercedes, Kia. That's going to be a problem because they will use two spots at the supercharger. Any uh, solution? Yes, the supercharger V4 is the solution right now. It does have a much longer cable, which should solve at least partly uh, those problems. I don't know if it goes all the way to the other side, uh, though you're going to have to park another way. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, the other companies in, in that field are better in that because they have the cables that are higher up and they can move it a little bit more. Uh, it's not that much of a difference with Supercharger V4, but it is a significant one. So I don't know how Tesla is going to address those issues for current V3 superchargers that they are opening up because that's uh, uh, that's going to be a problem. Now, with the new Mercedes that are going to be coming out, because Mercedes has adopted NAX in uh, North America, I assume that with the connector that they're going to put on the 2025 model years when they do uh, adopt NAX are going to be in the same position as Tesla. I think that would make sense. Jesse saying I did a great job last week. I appreciate that. Carl Protero was one of the big EV bus makers and we have been supplying cities with EV buses when bankrupt. Looks like profitability, uh, even when they started selling batteries, was too hard. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the cost was all over the place. They tried to expand a little bit too quick with several different uh, factories. So it has, before bankruptcy, they tried to cost, cost by, cut, cut cost by putting everything in the same roof. Uh, but it was not enough, obviously. But if they had that done that a bit earlier, maybe they would have time. So maybe, maybe, there's still chances. I don't want to kill hope here. Uh, John Lotz says, uh, free society for the working class, all electric, all sustainable, all inclusive, technology sustainable, incorporated cost, and efficient collective under Saudi and Elon partnership. No idea what you're talking about here. Oh, uh, Neo-M. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is like the city project in Saudi Arabia. I take everything with a grain of salt with what the Saudis are doing there. Like that sounds like a quite of a mess of uh, a lot of money being poured in there. Probably not very efficiently create something crazy. This whole like line city thing and whatnot. I mean, it looks cool and everything, but I don't know. I won't be the first signing up to move there. Brian Brennan said, hi there. I have designed an electronic engine battery. Yes. 1.9 volt for starting and for the for sale. No, thank you, Brian. Carl, Carl in San Diego, a frequent listener to the show. We appreciate you, Carl. Topic, GM seems to have seriously overestimated that cheap batteries will make it easy to build inefficient giant trucks SUV by throwing big batteries at them. Is it I'm going to kick their asses? Is, I don't know what you mean by is it I'm going to kick their ass, but uh, I do uh, understand the first part of your statement. And yes, uh, it is it, it, the, the trend with GM, with the... Hummer with the Silverado Electric and now with the Cadillac Escalade seems to be pretty clear that they are going with those giant battery things. And um, it makes sense right now. Like they're going top market down, obviously. And they are already producing that uh, 200 kilowatt pack for the Hummer EV for a while now. And it makes more sense for them to do that and to start to low volume until they can get their costs down at the battery level, both at the cell level and uh, at, at the module and at the pack level eventually to be able to then transfer some of those cost efficiencies to smaller and smaller battery pack and then uh, enable those small, s- smaller or lower range vehicles. Basically, I, uh, you could put like 150 kilowatt hour battery pack in the Escalade. It would get 300 miles of range. It would still be a very good car. Uh, a lot of people would like that. And if it would bring the cost on under $100,000, it would be a better seller than that. 200 kilowatt hour, 450 miles. You don't need 450 miles for the most part. I mean, it has towing capacity, so I get it for that if you're going to use it like that. But I mean, every time I've seen an Escalade, this has been like, uh, like transporting rich people from the airport to a hotel or something like that. So it's, you, know, you don't need 450 miles for that. Uh, Steve Mohan says, drunks are overrated for uh, drunks, for frunks. I, I pro- probably means frunks. Uh, for for sure, I have one, but it isn't the main selling uh, point. And the battery is way too large, which means heavy, inefficient, and costly to charge. I mean, uh, not sure I'm following you. Nico loves the Aptera. I love Aptera too. Not much Aptera news lately. I wish uh, I wish there were more Aptera news. Uh, we were really bummed out when they didn't come to the electric uh, sun race. But uh, I mean, I know that they are still having some issues right now, ramping up production, uh, but not ramping up to production, I should say. 
they still need to secure a few tens of millions of dollars, I think, to make things happen. I don't know why some companies is not like just uh, offering them some money and like taking a big stake because I think it could be like a lot, a very cool like test bed for uh, technology there, especially like their their solar integration in the car efficiency. Just like just it's basically a lab for making efficient vehicles. So for things like that, I think it, like a bit like Ford did with Rivian, for example, like it could be a company investing in that. That would be very cool. Mike, the car geek says, uh, love or hate this guy, IQ, both not an option. <laughs> it pushed the envelope to a premium EV, but it is big, heavy, and could build three Equinox for the same. So that's, yeah, that's the thing that a lot of people have been saying. Like it, you, you could just split the battery pack in a few and build a lot more cars, a lot cheaper vehicles. But again, I think that it's more about the strategy that GM is taking here in order to be able to get to those cheaper vehicles profitably. Because uh, we know that GM has been losing a lot of money pre-incentive, pre-credits. They've been losing a, money, a lot of money on electric vehicles for a while now. So I think that with Alcyon, they're trying to reframe the situation, not start with a lower-end bolt and instead start with a higher-end tune in their production capacity, tune in their cost efficiencies in order to achieve those vehicles. I think that looks pretty clear. And I, I think they're going to get there. Uh, Call says, front over are a big problem with these SUVs. Okay, we're still on the IQ. Um, okay. Nick Setter says, question, is anyone expected to make an actual EV work truck with an eight-foot bed and a minimal cab size an overall length. Uh, good question. On the top of my head, eight, eight foot bed is pretty big. Um, I'm sure it's going to come at some point. Uh, maybe not in the next two years or something like that. But, I, but in the next two years, I would I'm almost guarantee you that it's going to be an announcement about something like that. And then it should come within the next three or four years, probably. Uh, Victor D says, question, when are we getting official U.S. price for the EV9? Uh, good question. I would have to get you back on that. Uh, we should have that soon, though, because it is coming uh, imminently. Carl says, I'm seeing a lot of echo chamber in the EV community about how SUVs are necessary because that's the only thing that sells. SUVs that literally undermine all of the fuel efficiency advances. Yeah, that, that, uh, that is absolutely true. It's absolutely true, but this is this has been my philosophy here about about electric vehicles and about sustainability as a whole here, from my own experience. And like I'm not a psychologist or anthropologist, I like I don't study human behaviors uh, professionally. <laughs> I do do it in my own time. Uh, I find it fascinating, and from my own observation, and I've been covering this space for a decade at this point now. So through through looking at it for electric vehicles and applying it to other sustainable options, it has become clear to me that changing humor behavior for sustainability is extremely hard and harder to do than having techno technological solutions that are equivalent or better than the non-sustainable solution, in this case, electric vehicle versus fossil fuel-powered vehicles. It's better to have the sustainable solution be better or be as good or better than trying to solve by changing human behavior by telling them like you should not want this thing, you should want that thing instead uh, because it's better for the environment. Some people will make that decision. They will make the decision that's better for the environment. We, we, we know, I know personally a lot of people that do that. I try to do that at times, but myself not. Uh, I um, succumb to the pull of the technology. And uh, so I, I've seen that the only way that electric vehicles get mass adopted, which they are being mass adopted right now, I think we're clearly seeing the momentum, it's because they're better than gasoline cars, period. It's not because people are like, oh, we'll get an EV. You don't hear that anymore. Like you used to hear that at the beginning from the early adopters that were excited about it. But now you know, here I am getting an EV because uh, I want to save the planet. You're getting an EV because this is the, these are the coolest cars around right now. These are the best, better cars right now. And also in general, because you know, there's a feeling around this is this is the next technology. Like I'm not, I don't want to buy a horse when the, the Mumble T is coming out. Uh, you want to buy it in the car. 
So yeah, I, th- I think that's how people are seeing it right now. I do. Your, your point is still valid, and for the people that um, understand that and are willing to make compromises, yes, do it. I mean, I, I use my my bike. Uh, you see right right here. I use my e-bike most of the time when I when I I can travel with it instead of using my car because it is more efficient than using my car. Even though my car is electric, but it uses more electricity than, than the bike. You should always use the most efficient way to to to, to travel. But people love their SUVs, and I know <laughs> this is a different point, but it, it does link to it. But it's not just about efficiency when, when it comes to the SUVs. Uh, I wasn't even aware of that until recently, or I mean, it just clicked in my mind that that's a, a reason why people like SUVs, like bigger vehicles. But people are bigger in North America. Like, while people love SUVs in North America versus Europe, it's not just like a cultural. I mean, I guess it's kind of cultural uh, to some degree. But it's because people are bigger. Like 42% of the population is obese in the U.S. Um, a bigger vehicle is more comfortable for them. Uh, also, older people complain a lot about uh, like a sedan or a crossover being lower. And a SUV is, is higher. It's easier to get in and out. So that makes sense. But I think you, you, it's not that bad. But um, the, the bigger thing, I understand, if you weigh 250, 300 pounds and you have... a a uh, small crossover, a small sedan that with smaller seat, it, it's not as comfortable. So that is something to take into account. So now again, you can say all oh, those people should just lose weight and still buying the air car. That goes back to my point. Changing human behavior is more difficult than finding like uh, technological solutions. So to the obesity thing, the technical solution would be uh, food that has not, it's not so high in sugars, like those the, those carbonated drink with Zevia in them and things like that. Uh, instead of drinking like Coca-Cola, because uh, you, you can you, you literally have the same experience, but with something that has zero calories or something like 100 calories. Like you, you, these are the solution that you have to come up with right now instead of changing human behavior. I'm not saying that you shouldn't endeavor into trying to change human behavior. That's that's a great endeavor and you sh- we should try to do it. Uh, but I think the technical solution is literally easier, more impactful because of how hard it is to change human behavior. I, I don't know if there's any, I don't even know if there's any data backing what I said. It's just based on my own observation, by the way. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. Uh, I went on a little rant there. Where was I? Polestar. Polestar is in worse than Tesla was for us. No dealers and no local service. Is this affecting their sales and owners' satisfaction? I don't know about owners' satisfaction, but certainly not the sales. Uh, the sales of Polestars have been ramping up pretty well, uh, even with, without, which only the Polestar 2, basically, like the Polestar 3, which Another SUVs, Carl, you know, I'm not gonna like them. Uh, I honestly, when there's a when there's a problem with service on an EV, normally we get tons of posts about it. That we tons of information comes to us uh, about it. So I haven't heard anything about Polestar. So that's like a lack of data is not an answer, obviously, but it is an indication. So uh, if you have a specific example, I'd love to look into it because that's the kind of thing that we like to report. But so far, I'm not hearing anything is a pretty good sign. Uh, Stefan says, have you heard anything about Shanghai Model Y switch over to the hardware uh, for wanting to trade in my Model 3 for a Model Y FSD transfer, but one hour for? Yeah, uh, we, we've, we've been tracking that. We have nothing confirmed just yet. Uh, I know that is something that would make a big difference for a lot of people, so we'll, we'll definitely keep a, um, keep, keep an eye on, out on that because I, obviously that affects like the uh, European and, and, and North American market now, uh, so Canadian market, I should say, because they don't ship uh, Shanghai-made mobile-wise in the U.S., but they do in Canada now, so everyone is looking out for whenever the hardware 4 happened, especially with the FSD transfer. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Tesla wait until uh, Q4 to do it so that you force the hands of people switching over before and, uh, but at the same time, this is again, this is, I guess on my part, I wouldn't be surprised if that FSD transfer uh, offer comes back in the future. Just uh, a smart guess, I think for me. All right. Uh, a lot of questions today. Appreciate you. Uh, it helped uh, boost the show up to an hour now. So we did a full hour. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, if you do appreciate the show, um, if you can give a like, a quick like, takes a second to do, you can uh, give a thumbs up, subscribe, hit the notification button. All these things help the show a lot. They're free to do. They take a second. We didn't even have a sponsor on the show. You didn't even get ads today. 
Uh, so that's great. Um, and uh, if you are listening on your on your podcast app on Apple Podcasts and like that, you can give us a five star review. That helps us show a ton. Also free to do. Also take a second. I appreciate every single one of you that do it. Uh, stay safe out there. Have a, a great weekend. I'm going to see you same time, same place next week. I think with Seth. Not sure, but I think with Seth. <laughs> <laughs>